be together in a group. But I don't know about you, but I'm shouting, I'm dancing, I'm glorifying my King. And I pray that right where you are, you're experiencing that same presence. The Holy Spirit's not limited by time or space. But He is even in the room where you are right now. And I pray that you are experiencing that presence just as we on this stage are feeling the Spirit of God flowing this place. Wow. You can shout, you can dance, you can glorify the King because the enemy has been defeated. <laughs> you need to hear that. The enemy has been defeated. And the King of Kings is alive. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this morning that, that you have been encouraged by this wonderful praise time. We've entered in. Now let's go in a little deeper to his word. You know, because when I think about it, Jesus gave a purpose of why he came. It's found in John chapter 4, verse 18. He said this, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Somebody need to know that this morning. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because, why? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You need to know this morning that the same Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same purpose when he picked up that scroll in the temple and he opened it there to Isaiah and began to read that is the same purpose that he's still alive today. He's still touching. He's still setting the captives free. He's still healing the blind. He's still raising those. He's still touching us. And I'm so excited to know that the same God that loved me that created me, that knew me before I was a twinkling in my mother's eye, still loves me and still loves you. And this morning, I believe that God is purposeful and intentional in everything he does. And when I look through this scripture and I see as Dre already began to talk about how early in the morning they came, I'm going to be going through the book of John, John chapter 20 and 21, and looking at these purposes that Jesus came there as he proclaimed in Luke chapter 4 and 18, I'm going to look at how they correlate with how he manifested himself on that morning of his resurrection. If you want to look with me in, in the John chapter 20, it starts out verse 1. So now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone already saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now it goes on and says that she ran back uh, to tell the others. And when she got back, she said, We do not know where they have laid him. Now 
I want us to look a little bit into this scripture because, first of all, this passage, John chapter 20, verse 1 through 19, is, is really the story of Mary Magdalene going in and seeing. And, and, and I would like to correlate that with that first part of Luke chapter 4. It says, and he healed the brokenhearted. Because when she went in, the Bible tells us that she was weeping. Mary came back to the tomb. She stood outside. In verse 11, she stood outside weeping. I don't know about you, but you've got to realize who this is. This is Mary Magdalene. This is the, the one who Jesus had, had rescued, if you will, that they were literally about to stone. They were getting ready to stone her to death, and Jesus loved on her. He said, if anyone has no sin, cast the first stone. In other words, at that moment in time, Jesus was able to speak into her life and transformed her. And, and because he had transformed her, she's been following him. She's been following after the Lord. She, everywhere he was going, Mary Magdalene seems to find herself in the place because she wanted to be around the person who transformed her life. And so you can imagine knowing the depth of love that she has for Jesus and seeing him being crucified, the overwhelming emotion that she had, the, the brokenheartedness that she felt. And here she was, standing on the outside of the tomb. I imagine that she was there when Peter and John, as they ran back, she got there. She might not have ran as fast as John. She might not have ran as fast as Peter. But I guarantee you, she ran back to that grave to see their expression, to see what they found. And the Bible says that she stood outside the grave weeping in verse 11. And in that same moment of weeping, the Bible says she went into the tomb. Now, I want you to understand, weeping is, a, is an emotional, broken state. I don't know if you've ever been to a place in your life where you've sobbed. Where you've lost something and, and you've literally just, just sat there unable to speak, unable to express how you feel in words, but you sit there and you just sob. Your eyes fill with tears and the groaning of your heart as you sit there thinking of the loss and the grieving and the mourning that you feel in that moment. It was an emotional state so deep that words could not be expressed and she sat there and she wept and sobbed before that tomb. But as she continued to wail and weep, the Bible says that she stooped down and she looked back into that tomb. And, and this is what she saw. This is what amazes me. She saw two angels. I'm not talking about two ordinary men sitting on the head and the foot of where Jesus was laid. I'm talking about two angels. I want you to understand that. I don't know about you, but if I saw two angels, it might would have changed my stupor a little bit and my demeanor might have been a little bit more different because I would have recognized that this was not something that had just uh, happened. Not, two men didn't just pass her and walk in. She was sitting on the outside. She's probably been sitting there from the time that John and Peter had left and she's been sitting there. Nobody's entered that tomb. Nobody's walked past her, but she walks in still weeping and there's two people sitting there. I don't know about you, but I sense I would have probably had a different mentality. I'm like, whoa, how did you get in here? I've been sitting here. You couldn't have passed me. But the Bible says that she continued to weep and they asked her, why are you weeping? And she looked at them not as though they were angels and she looked at them and said, I just want to know where are you taking him to? 
I just want to know, where have you taken my master? Where have you taken the one who I love, the one who has changed my life, the one who's transformed me? What has happened to him? Her heart was set. I'm going to tell you something. If your heart is set on Jesus, not anything can take his place. If your heart is set on the master, I don't care what anybody does around you. I don't care what phenomenon takes place. Because when you know that you know that you know Jesus, there can be uh, people who are deceived by mere miraculous things. But yet, let me tell you something. When you know Jesus, there's nothing else that can satisfy you. There's nothing else that can take his place. There's nothing else that can transform you. You know who changed your life. You know who touched you. You know that, like myself, when God transformed my life and I come to myself three pews back under the pew speaking in a heavenly language, something happened to me. There's nothing that can take that place. There's nothing that can change my life. And there's no voice that I will ever be hearing so clearly but that voice of Jesus. And so she, she's brokenhearted. Nothing can take the place of Jesus. And, and the Bible says that she turned and as she turned, she, she saw Jesus standing there and not recognizing him. Now, now, now you got to get this. You know, somebody said, well, how could she not recognize him? you got to realize Jesus has now been glorified. And so here she is. Her, her, she's still viewing things through a physical eye. And, and you got to realize when you start looking through the scriptures after the resurrection, Jesus manifests himself to two disciples on the road to a master. Uh, and they did not recognize him until he broke bread and their eyes, their spiritual eyes were open to recognize, oh, this is Jesus. Even in John chapter 21, later on, we'll see that Peter didn't recognize uh, Jesus until somebody said, it's the Lord. And, and Peter did some extravagant things. And so here she is, whether her eyes are swollen and she is so uh, distraught that she did not look clearly. But let me tell you something. I mean, she looked at him and said, well, maybe this is the gardener. I don't know, sir, where you've laid him, but, but can you tell me where he is? And, and Jesus, he just had to speak the name. Somebody needs to know that Jesus wants to speak your name this morning. He said, Mary. And immediately when he spoke that name, Mary, her, her spiritual eyes were open. And the Bible says that she dove, if you will, this is the PD version, that she dove at his feet. She loved him so much that she dove at his feet, that she grabbed a hold of him, and there's nothing else that she wanted but that, that embrace of Jesus. One, uh, one of the Gospels says that she clinged to his feet. I don't know about you, but if, I, if I've lost something and, and, and I have uh, found it, uh, it, it won't leave my sight again. It's something that I'm going to hold on to. And to think that she's like, look, Lord, I've lost you once. I saw you on that cross. I saw you when they, when they took that spear and they pierced your side. I saw the blood and water as it gushed out. I saw it. I saw them as they put you in this. I saw them when they wrapped you up. I saw it when they put you in this tomb. I saw it when they rolled that, that big stone in front of us. Lord, I've lost you. But praise God, you've come to heal the broken heart. And here you are. And she grabbed on. Jesus said this. He says, don't cling to me. <laughs> hey, listen, I don't know how you perceive that. But I perceive it this way. Jesus said, look, 
you're not the only one. You're not the only one. You, you, you can hang on to me, but now you've got me. You don't, have to, you don't have to physically hold on to me. You don't have to physically keep on clinging to me because guess what? I'm here. I'm alive. And now he's declaring, look, don't cling to me because look, there's other people that need to see me. There's other people that need to hear me. Look, there's too many people that, that has been clinging to the Bible. They're clinging to the word of God so much so that they're unwilling to share the love of Jesus. They're unwilling to share the same God that transformed them, wants to transform somebody else. You need to stop clinging to him. You need to start sharing what Jesus did for you. If he's healed your broken heart, there's somebody else that needs to be healed by that broken heart. And the love of Jesus is there to heal them. Share that word. about you, but if you're not saying amen, I better hear an amen. Can I hear an amen out of one or two of you guys? Come on. Now I feel like preaching. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus, he healed the broken heart. He touched Mary, transformed her life, and kept on loving her. But then if you continue on, we see that in chapter 20 and go on down to verse 19, that that the disciples were together. It says that, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were shut, literally it means the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Woo. I mean, you need to understand that Jesus has come to proclaim liberty to the captives. These guys, fear captivates us. Fear keeps us from experiencing the fullness that God has for us. Fear keeps us from experiencing the, the fullness of his, of his love for us. And here they were. They were locked up. They were closed. They were in locked doors, afraid of the Jews. But how many understand this? The Word of God says that perfect love casts out fear. When the perfect love of God enters in, there's no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus showed them the greatest love, and Jesus needed to still demonstrate that love to them. And here they were with locked doors, and Jesus manifests himself in their presence. And I love the fact that when he speaks to them, he says, peace be unto you. Now, now, if you truly understand what peace means, peace is not because your circumstances are great, everything's hunky-dory, your bank account's good, your job's great, you got a car, you got a roof over your head, everything's pretty. No, that's not peace. Peace is a completeness. He said, peace be to you. In other words, be complete now. Understand that you've been, you've known in part, you've known a little bit, but, but now... I'm standing in your presence. Right now, you are now understanding the fullness that I've tried to explain to you. You're now grasping a hold of, of all that I've been teaching you. I told you this would happen, and here I am. Completeness be on you. Be complete. That's literally what he's saying. Be complete. I don't know how you're experiencing this morning, but I'm here to tell you Jesus wants to complete you. He wants you not to have a partial knowledge, a partial revelation, but he wants you to have a full revelation of the presence and power that he performed on the cross of Calvary when he raised from the dead. That fullness wants to enter into your room right now. In Jesus' name, may we be complete in you, Father. Jesus even confirmed to them when he showed them the demonstration of his love. 
He says, this is that completeness. He says, look at my hands. Look at my side. Look, guys. This is, this is, this is me. Here I am, complete. I come to complete you. And then he reiterates that. He says, peace be with you. Man, that's powerful. Powerful. And then he goes on in the next verse. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, you know, here he is. He's, he just, he's just manifested himself in the room with them. He just showed them the fullness of his love. He's saying, this is, this is what this looks like. And now he's saying, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Wow. The, you know, we always go to the end of Matthew. We talk about that being the Great Commission. But right here, Jesus gives a commission to them. To me, this is probably the first iteration of the Great Commission that was given. Because Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. How, what does that look like? Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to be served, but I come to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus was showing them, this is what love looks like. This is what the, the anointing works. This is what I was anointed for. This is what you're going to be anointed for. Because you're going to come as a servant. He said, I didn't, you know, Jesus didn't come on a, a high horse. But he came on a donkey. He showed saying, look, you're going to come in humility. You're not coming in pride. He said, pride will be cast away. But a humble heart will not be despised. It won't be rejected. He said, you're going to come as a servant. You're going to come humbly. But he also says you're going to come as a suffering servant. Look, there's times that we're going to have to suffer. There's times that we're not going to understand what's going on around us. But Jesus said just as they hated me, they're going to hate you. But I'm here to tell you there's an anointing and a power of God that will flow with you. And, and though you might have to suffer for a season, guess what? The power of God flows through you and life will flow out of you to others. And, you, and they will experience just what you have experienced from him. Power. But then he does something else. The Bible says that once he said these things, that he breathed on them. That, that's powerful. Now, what was unique about this word that he breathed on them? The word breathe, we would look at in the, in the Hebrew as ruach, wind or breath. In the Greek, we look at it as pneuma, which means wind or spirit or breath. But you know, it didn't use either one of those words for this moment. There's only two places that this word is used in the whole Bible. The first time it's used is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And in that moment, when God took the clay and he formed Adam, the Bible says he breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being. That's when this other time it was used. And so it was used first when there was a creative moment and God breathed breath into mankind and started a new life. And now Jesus, once again, is now breathing a new creative moment into these disciples. And he breathed on them. Come on, you need to grasp a hold of that right now. You're not the old man any longer. If you've allowed Jesus to be your Savior, if you've surrendered to his kingship and now you're a servant of the king, he's breathed a fresh breath, a creative work in you. You're no longer the old creation, but you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that breath has breathed over you. Come on, praise God for a fresh breath from God. But not only does 
To me, what I see out of that is not only do I see that fresh new creative work, but I also see the foretelling of the Pentecostal movement that would take place, the forthcoming of Pentecost, when they would gather together uh, in Acts chapter 1 and 8, and the power of God fell, and, the, and the, the wind blew in. I tell you what, I'm looking forward for a fresh anointing to take place in Alcoa, Maribel Church of God. I'm expecting a, a revival. I'm a, a, expecting something powerful to take place because there's a people who are praying. There's a people who are believing. There's a people who are allowing the Spirit of God to flow into your home, in your, in your house, in your workplace. And God's going to move not only in this place but in your homes. I'm believing as individuals experience revival in their homes that there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. You, there, might be, there might be a great falling away, but I believe just as there's a great falling away, there's a great outpouring. And I'm believing for a great outpouring to take place in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when, when, how do we know when there's a great outpouring? It goes on and it tells us that Jesus said, if you forgive... It literally says when you forgive that they have already been forgiven. But if you don't forgive, it will be retained. And so what I, what, what I want you to understand, when there's an outpour, how do you know there's revival? It's when healing takes place. It's when, when we begin to let go of all of the old stuff. When people's things that we have held against them no longer become important to us anymore because Jesus is greater than all of that stuff. And so when we begin to see the manifest presence of God, we begin to be healed by the presence of God. We, we begin to be set free as Jesus set the captives free right here. Not only are we free spiritually to worship Him, but we're free to let go of everything else that has been binding us. Thank you, Jesus. And, and, and then the scripture goes on, and, 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 and so here they are, they've experienced this power, they've experienced this anointing, they've been breathed on with a new creative work, and yet Thomas wasn't with them. You know, the, the word Thomas, it says Didymus, Thomas, or Didymus. Didymus means twin. I'm going to start calling him Ditto. <laughs> Old Ditto, he, 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 didn't, he didn't believe it. And so we see this in John 20, 24 through 29, the story of where Thomas comes in. And, and here the disciples are. They were, they were trying to tell him, look, Thomas, we saw him. We saw his hands. We saw his, we saw his side. We saw his feet. We, this, was, this was the risen Savior. I mean, know that Jesus said, he says, I come to, to, give recover, to recover the sight to the blind. Thomas was blind. This is not the first time that Jesus has had to help Thomas see clearly we all can look back to John 14 and, and Jesus is declaring that, that he's going away and he, that he's going to uh, prepare a place for them and he tells them I'm the way truth and life and Thomas even then says Lord where are you going and, and so still he's he's ditto he's, he's not uh, grasping at all he's walking in uh, disbelief and so Thomas literally said look I don't care what you say I mean, there's friends of ours who feel that way. There's friends of ours who we've tried to love on, and, and they'll say, well, I don't, I don't care what you say. I don't believe what you're talking about until, until I see it myself. I don't know about you. You've got some friends like that. 
I've had a few of those in my life. He says, until I see it myself, I won't believe it. And then it shows them together. They're once, to get, once again, they're together. The Bible says that the door was locked. They were in four walls, and Jesus just showed them their presence. That's powerful. Jesus, it wasn't like he had to do what he did, but Jesus walked into that room. And, and, and he literally, standing there, says once again, be complete. Be complete. And he goes straight to Thomas. He said, Thomas, put your hands right here in my wounds. Come on. I, I, I want you to grasp a hold of this. Jesus wasn't there when they were when Thomas was complaining. Or was he? Jesus wasn't physically in the room when Thomas was with the disciples and he was declaring, I don't care what you say. I won't believe it until I can put my hands in his wounds. And yet here's Jesus, though he physically wasn't in the room with them, he was with them. Look, I don't know where you, where, how you feel sometimes. You might feel alone. You might feel you by yourself. You might feel forsaken by friends, family, church. You might feel forsaken even by God. But even when you don't sense Him, even when you don't see Him, even when you are completely uh, absent of the understanding that His presence is there, He's still there. And He walks in. And he wants to open our blinded eyes. He wants us to see the expression of his love. He wants us to know that he's not left us nor forsaken us. But he's with us even to the end of the age. And he looks at Thomas and says, here I am, Thomas. Be complete. Be complete. Thank you, Jesus, that even when we don't sense you, you're still there. And then last... We look at John 21, chapter 21, 1 through 22. And this is the story of Peter literally walking in disobedience. And, and, and I would like to reflect that back to Jesus' purpose. He says, I've come to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I've come to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Peter's in active disobedience. Peter... I mean, all the disciples are together. They're hanging out. And Peter says, hey, boys, let's go fishing. I don't know about you, but do you remember where Jesus called him from? Jesus, on the bank, banks of Tiberias, Jesus had called them from fishing. He says, you'll no longer be fishers of fish, but you'll be fishers of men. How many know that we sometimes go back to the old selves? We always, when we feel depressed, when we feel overwhelmed by life, we often go back to a place in our past that we might have found comfort. And even though it's not what God told us to do, even though it's not what God's plan is for us, we often fall back into those same patterns that we fell before. But even so, even so, not only did he go back, but he invited others to go back with him. How many know that when we fall, sometimes we drag some other people with us? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so here they are. 
They're out fishing. And Jesus, I mean, if you think about it, Jesus wanted them to wait in Jerusalem, right? I mean, Jesus wanted them to tarry a little while in Jerusalem until they'd be endued with power, and yet here they are. They're not being endued with power. They're out fishing. And I know, Brother Wormsley, you're a fisherman, so I'm not, don't take offense. If you catch some and bite me, I'll eat some. <clears throat> but this is not where he expect, this is not where he wanted them to be. And I know that Jesus sometimes plays with us a little bit. Jesus, he shows up, they're out there, they've been fishing all night. They've not caught anything. They've not, they've not had a nibble, if you will. And so Jesus yells out to them and says, Hey boys, you caught any fish? <laughs> really, Jesus? Come on. It's, it's already bad enough that we, we feel lonely, we feel lost. But now, you're going to make fun because we went back to life that it's not productive either? <laughs> Come on. It literally means when it says, have you caught any fish? It, it literally means, do you have anything to eat with bread? Now, that, that automatically triggers my mind to think that Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. <laughs> Do you have anything to eat with me? I mean, you'd think it would recall their minds to a, a couple of fishes and a few loaves, right? <laughs> and so Jesus looks at them, says, come on in, boys. And then he says, throw your nets on the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, a, I'm not a good fisherman because I'm impatient. I cast, you know, if I'm out there 15 minutes and I haven't got a good one, dude, I'm done. I mean, I'm sorry. It's over with you. But these guys have been there all night long. Had called a thing. And Jesus was like, hey, boys, just throw the nets on the other side. They're like, really? I don't know about this. Drake, come on up here. I don't know about this. And so... They cast those nets on the other side. And guess what happens? They catch so many. It's hard to even pull it in. You know, Peter's thinking, who is that? One of the disciples leans over and says, that's the Lord. You know, I've been one who has fallen away from the Lord. I've, as a young teen, man, I was on fire. I was one of those Pentecostal, 11-year-old kid shouting, dancing down the front. You know, man, I, that was me. But somewhere along the way, I lost my vision and plan. I, I, I walked away from what God had intended, and, and, and I was probably back fishing. But, but I remember the night I got saved, I was actually in the balcony because I didn't go to get saved. I went because of that pretty girl that was in the balcony. And the Lord powerfully spoke to me. I don't know if it spoke to anybody else. But the Lord powerfully spoke to me. And I come running out of that balcony. I hit that altar. And so I imagine when Peter said, I don't know who that is, and one of the disciples leans over and says, it's the Lord. Peter 
Man, he knew his experience with Jesus. And he knew that he had failed. He knew that he had denied Christ three times. He knew it. And he felt overwhelmingly embarrassed. He felt overwhelmingly shamed. But when that disciple said, this is the Lord, Peter grabbed his outer arm. How many know that he said, look, I've been indignant before, but this time I'm more dignified. <laughs> and he threw his outer garment on, and literally, he jumped out of the boat. They were a hundred yards away from the shore, and Peter swam to the shore. Wow. Now the other disciples stayed in the boat, and they came and the Bible says that Jesus had already prepared some bread and some fish. He said, boys, bring some of that fish over here. The Bible says that Peter ran, grabbed the net. Now, I don't know why it did this. I don't know why that it gives the exact number of fish. Maybe just for us to understand that it was a lot of fish. But it said there was 153 fish in the net. A normal net would have broken because of that. But Peter, to me, I believe when God tells you to do something, it might be out of your capability. But if you're walking in the unction of the Holy Spirit, backed by the revelation of a Christ, a risen Savior, then no matter what Jesus tells you to do, you're capable of doing it. And the Bible says that Peter grabbed the net and he drove those fish onto the shore. redemption through Jesus Christ because he has come to set at liberty those who are oppressed maybe self beats you up maybe there's so many times you feel like I'm unworthy of what Jesus has done for me I don't deserve this love that he has given me I don't, I don't, I don't deserve the, the grace that he gives me Maybe you feel broken. And there's these unction moments where you see the shine, but then you go right back down into that fishing hole and you fall right back down to that place of discomfort and oppression and depression. But Jesus wanted to show him something right here. Jesus wanted to restore him. The Bible said that Jesus took Peter to the side. And Jesus said, Peter... Do you love me? Now, when we look at the Greek language, there's three specific words for love. And, and the one word that Jesus used here was agape, which is a full love. It's a complete love. It's an all-in love. And Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a fullness of love? And Peter in his broken state says, Lord, you know I filet love. I have a fondness for you. And that's not what Jesus asked. That's not what he said. He said, Peter, tend my sheep. If you've ever hurt somebody, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, and you were trying to make up, and, 
And they were wanting you to prove yourself to them. And they, they asked you a question and it just makes you feel ashamed because you know that you know that you have failed and you know that you really, really, really want to make it up to them, but you're not sure that you're at a state where you can truly live that out. And that's what Peter's saying, Lord, I want to love you that way, but this is the way, this is where I'm at right now. I'm not sure that you want me. I'm not sure that I'm capable. He says, but, but I do love you in this way. Jesus, isn't it amazing that Jesus told him that he would deny him three times and Jesus gave him three opportunities to say, I love you. Once again, Jesus said, Peter, do, do you, Agape, love me? And Peter, broken, Lord, I, I fillet you. I, I have a fondness for you. I, I have a brotherly love for you. Jesus said, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. And then lastly, he says to him again, and, and, and this, is, this is powerful to me because I believe Jesus knows us enough that Jesus went and got down on Peter's level. He said, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you have a fondness for me? And that's when Peter realized the Lord had to reach down for me. He said, Lord, you know all things. And I love you. Phileo love. And Jesus restored him. This morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know how broken you have been or felt. You may not feel like you can love Jesus to that full amount. You, you might feel like, why would Jesus accept me? Because I don't know that I can give him everything. But Jesus is willing to accept you where you are in order to bring you up to him. Maybe you haven't made that decision. Maybe you've not said, I truly believe Jesus. Maybe you're just following religious routines, and this is that Sunday that Grandma told you you should watch a, a service. You're the, you're the Easter-only person. Now, I'm not judging you in that. I'm just saying maybe that's where you are. And this is the tradition. You get together with family, and although we can't be in the same building together, we can at least be at Grandma's house watching I want you to know that Jesus, he reached out to restore a Peter who had denied him, who had ran from him, who had went back to his ways. And he came specifically to touch his life. He came specifically to raise him up. And it was that love that was demonstrated just some 50 days later in Acts chapter 2 where Peter it was Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and declared a fiery message from the Lord that started a, a move of God that is still going on over 2,000 years later I don't know where you are but I do know this that where you are Jesus can meet you there and just as he restored Peter, 
and he restored this Paul, and he restored the Paul the Apostle, he can restore you. Would you believe that with me this morning? Would you pray that with me this morning? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I know that we are unable to come to a physical altar and stand before a congregation, but God, we are standing before the congregation of heaven. And Lord, we're standing before the throne room of God. And Lord, we know that you are looking at us even right now. And Lord, you are rejoicing because there's some people even right now that's making the decision to say, Lord, I want a deeper walk with you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me in my failure. Thank you for loving me when I was brokenhearted. Thank you for loving me when I was blind. Thank you for loving me when I was overwhelmed by fear. Thank you for loving me when I've been oppressed and depressed. And God, you have demonstrated yourself to me over and over and over again. And today, I pray that I surrender all to you. Knowing that this journey is not in my ability to fulfill with perfection. But God, your word says that you would walk with me on this journey. That I would be yoked together with you. And I pray that you will give me the unction, the anointing, the ability by your grace to fully depend on you to walk me through this journey. And it is you, Lord, that presents me to the Father as a spotless lamb, bride. God, cleanse me. Cleanse us, purify us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection morning. I pray that you have a blast with your kids. If uh, I know that you probably can't go to some big uh, egg skate moment like we had wanted to do here, but enjoy the time in your backyard. Love on your children, your grandchildren. Experience God's love together. We are so thankful that you chose to join us this morning. Tomorrow night, we will finish a Holy Week series. My wife and I will be joining together. and We will be sharing a, a, a brief message. Look forward to being with you. And keep praying. Let's, let's believe in the right things. Let's believe that we can get back together as soon as possible. Because God's able to. And I believe. And I pray that you're believing with me. Love you. God bless you.